This podcast is brought to you by the Wharton School at the University of Pennsylvania. Well, we expect that the ever-growing use of digital technology by companies to only increase in 2024. So how do company leaders make decisions around future growth when technology itself is constantly innovating? Ted Mosier is a senior partner of consultancy firm Profit. He is also co-author of the new book, Winning Through Platforms, How to Succeed When Everyone Has One. Ted, great to have you with us. Thanks for a few moments today. Dan, thanks for your time. I appreciate it. Thank you. And so this idea of the platform obviously is something that has become very much in our vernacular over the last decade or so. Right. And you hit it right, the nail right on the head. Every company has a various platform that they are a part of or they use, but they are also constantly innovating and changing. So how does a company adjust to this? So, Dan, um, platforms are really um, a part of every company's growth plan going forward, to your point. While websites in the 2000s let a company watch a customer shop and talk to them while they were shopping and influence their choice, platforms are really the vehicles that let companies watch their customers use what it is that bought and talk to them while they're using them. And so anyone who skips, you know, taking a platform approach to business will be at the same disadvantage as if they skip putting up a website in the early 2000s. So the question is, if it's an imperative, then what's our competitive playbook for a platform era? And we've uh, tried to distill the lessons over the last 10, 15 years from about 50 companies into a playbook of winning moves, 24 of them in the book that range from strategic advantage, how to you know, think about what role the platform has in my business portfolio, and strategic design, how do I design one for advantage, and to more practical questions around in-market growth. How do I manage the full customer journey that platforms enable for accelerated growth and innovate through platforms? And then finally, internal alignment. Platforms create a lot more interdependencies between people in the company and teams that might be used to working on their own now find their decisions interconnected with other teams through the platform. So there's um, company transformation as well in order to excel. So we're trying to create a holistic look at the success factors that would enable companies to win in a, in a competitive platform era. So even though the, the platforms themselves may change over periods of time, are the questions that the companies are having to ask with maybe the technology changing understood there, but are the yeah. questions themselves realistically the same? Yeah. The questions are evergreen. How do I earn customer choice and how do I grow customer lifetime value? So what we look at is not platforms as a technology question, but platforms as a customer question. How do I win with the customer through platforms? So we write about, you know, extended reality. We write about AI, the branding of intelligence, but we also focus on how platforms um, realign workflows of businesses, life flows of consumers, and how companies can innovate in ways that drive new value and, and beat the competition. So this is a very customer-centric, competitor-centric book. You know, a lot of competitive strategy was written for a product line company era you know, and this is sort of a, a Michael Porter for the platform era, if you if you will, 
to say, how do we win um, with a customer-facing view, not just with best tech stack? Because a lot of that's going to be um, relied upon by cloud service providers like an AWS and Azure, uh, Google Cloud yeah. Platform, or more verticalized platform providers. So some of the tech is going to be industry-wide and available to everyone, and then there's a proprietary part of the tech stack that a company might own. That's its own secret sauce. But the key thing is, how does it coordinate its go-to-market teams? How does it um, differentiate with the customer digitally throughout their journey? And that's where um, yeah. the book tries to show what winning moves have been by other companies that, um, that attract customer loyalty and attract customer growth. So safe to say that as we have those conversations around AI right now, yeah. that we are not going to see what you basically referred to a moment ago of companies kind of being left behind going back 15, 20 years of having, you know, websites and e-commerce, et cetera, that, that, that technology component that really started a lot of this 15, 20 years ago, companies are not going to get left behind in the AI world right now. Well, there's a pre-purchase side of the tech stack and there's a post-purchase side. So pre-purchase AI is playing a big role in as well and helping customers determine what it is they want to choose based on the criteria that they provide and knowledge about you know their um, their characteristics. So AI has a role there, but then post-purchase AI can be available real-time as the customer uses to um, enhance their experience of use. And so AI sort of permeates throughout this. Um, and so we try to talk about it holistically, how we brand it, how we deploy it, um, and what um, types of uses of it throughout the full customer journey can be influential in um, changing customer behavior and the way that a company is hoping to. You really can't afford to have leadership at the top of a firm that doesn't have uh, you know, a, a positive thought process of what digital can do for a firm these days, right? That's so true, Dan. Um, one of the things that we address right up front is, hey, platform is one of the most confusing terms in business today. Because if you look around a management team table, different members of the management team will think of something different when they use the word platform. And so uh, sort of step 101 is, clarifying how management teams speak about it and communicate to their employees and communicate to the market about it. Uh, I won't go into detail as to how that is, but we try to address that. And then um, the other thing is having a set of moves that everyone knows. You know, we, many of us went to business school and learned how to win through product lines. And since the rules of platform are different, Management teams need to update their own skill set as well as the skill set of their employees to have a language for the types of moves that they could make. So what we've tried to show in the book is that platforms aren't just for the tech elite anymore. I mean, we talk about the stories of over 50 companies, and obviously yeah. Amazon and Apple and um, you know Microsoft and all the classics you would think are in there, and so the Netflix and an Uber and an Airbnb, et cetera but also companies like Disney or Nike or Sleep Number or Automakers or, you know, Warby Parker with, uh, you know, how it helps with extended reality with, you know, sunglasses. You can take your pick from eggs to insurance to, you know, fill in the blank. How a hire yeah. is putting barcode readers inside a refrigerator to be able to watch what a consumer is pulling out of the fridge and when. 
and that's becoming a new data source for consumer products companies. So there's a lot of places where platforms are now um, becoming pervasive in what we might think of as physical businesses, and they're enhancing the physical business. So we've tried to write this book uh, across a wide range of examples so that those who have a platform can think about spot areas where they can continue to evolve and get better, and those without one can think more holistically about how they want to transform their growth rate through platforms. So try to sort of write something that has enough of a broad tent to be applicable across the economy. So, Ted, if we can, can we use Disney as an example? And I I ask this because I was just down in Orlando this weekend. My daughter played in a soccer tournament at the Walt uh, Disney World, the uh, Wide World of Sports Complex. Yeah. And uh, yesterday, yesterday after her game, we rolled over to the Magic Kingdom and we were there for a couple of hours after our flight. And, and, uh, you know, obviously the components that Disney, I mean, it's not just what they have in Orlando. We know that there's so many more components, but just that component itself, I think in many cases is kind of a microcosm for what Disney has and can bring to a lot of this discussion with, you know, obviously the multi, the multi kind of faceted approach, of having a complex where they can have 64 youth soccer teams come down and play on a weekend like they have there and yet have that unbelievable other attraction with all those other parks down there. I, yeah. I just find it amazing to see that as an example in many cases of of what they have there, a lot of the digital that they have involved, but then at the Magic Kingdom, kind of some of the old world 60s, 70s kind of you know hand-picked, hand-touched uh, you know, with the consumer elements that they have in yeah. their operation? So that's a great question, and Disney's a great example, Dan. Um, you know, Disney has been a champion of synergies, first of all. I think we all know that, right? By I take a character that has a good story behind them, and how do I um, create synergies across media, across um, in-person um, entertainment at a park, and through consumer merchandise, and they've been masters at monetizing a character three ways to get superior economics out of the character that they invest in. I think what they're doing now is thinking about how platforms play a role across their business portfolio. And they've really uh, uh, chosen two platforms as their key areas. One is the magic band. As you walk through the park, we talked about platforms letting you watch the customer as they use. So if I've got that magic band around my wrist, Disney has telemetry around everything I'm doing at the park. And then obviously Disney Plus streaming video of capturing everything I watch and how long I'm watching it is another. And what's fascinating is how they're then creating synergies with their merchandise business, where based on what I'm doing in the park and what I'm watching at home, all of a sudden informs what sort of merchandise I might be interested in. And while Disney has been shutting down its corner stores for its merchandise, it's been activating e-commerce and now it's integrating, you know, uh, merchandise opportunities on the back of a movie I might be watching in the moment of watching it. Or as I come home, having played certain games in the park, I might have opportunity for home games and even continue to play the role I played in the park at home. So there's new data synergies that Disney's driving to platforms across what looks like, you know, a, an already high synergy portfolio. They're finding new synergies through platforms. 
how do you think then some of the changes that Bob Iger is really tasked with doing and making right now impact some of this? Because there's a lot of cutting going on yeah. and, and some of those entities yeah. that they have on the Disney plus streaming platform, yep. they're obviously pulling back on, even though they're valuable properties. Yeah. So I think, uh, Disney's again, a great example of some of the challenges of implementing a platform approach. Um, Disney has really had three operating models within a very short period of time, just a very short few years, uh, in its streaming business. One was an entrepreneurial model where, you know, they had bought, um, a streaming video company in Brooklyn that had uh, done streaming uh, video for sports, and they acquired it to create the capability, and they pretty much used it as an incubator to get Disney Plus up and running and, and wowed everyone with the number of customers they got right out of the gate, but operating at a deep cash flow deficit like a, like a risk-financed company would. Then they were brought in by Bob Chopek to um, – you know, integrate in with uh, traditional entertainment business. And there were really a lot of struggles over governance. How much do we send to streaming and how much do we send to the theater and to cable? And what does that do to our internal economics? And it was so controversial that that led Iger to have to come back in, you know, in a change in CEOs and for him to return in large part to try to figure that out. And now investors are saying, hey, we're used to strong cash flows. The streaming is cool for growth, but... Um, at what cost do we grow new digital subscribers? And how does that compare to, you know, reemerging customer behavior of going to the theater? So Disney is not only a study in synergies, but it's a great study in operating model uh, shifts required and, you know, the kind of body, mind, and soul transformation in terms of org structure, incentives, governance, culture, um, skill sets that it takes to bring a platform in to a company. So we write about Disney in two ways. One, the way they think about it in their portfolio, and second, the management journey to uh, to integrate platforms into the operating model. So I'll finish on this with you, Ted. And I know you touched on AI, but just kind of larger scale. How impactful in terms of a lot of these conversations that you have in the book, Winning Through Platforms, how impactful is AI really going to be, do you think? Right. So we've got um, uh, multiple chapters that touch on it, and one that's explicitly about it. It's called Brands Get Brains, and it's about the branding of intelligence. Um, so that's one of the 24 plays within the book of how to win. Um, and the kind of questions we go through are um, – First of all, it's, it's easy to think of AI as just the pointy-headed brain, but really what the customer experiences that is that is like a living company that can sense, that can interpret what I'm doing, that can watch me, that can then think about my options and does it make a choice for me or does it give me sovereignty in making a choice and does it let me know how it's implementing or just go off on its own. So we talk about AI very holistically and um, how a company can think about designing the, the customer experience of sentience, of, of awareness of its brand. The brands now no longer represent uh, a product's performance, you know, like a logo would be, like a McDonald's Golden Arches would do, or a Ronald McDonald would do, but now they perform the company's brand promise rather than just represent it. And that we try to address, um, you know, what it takes for a company to step up to that new challenge of 
branding its intelligence, where do you put the smarts in your brands and who's got what intelligence? And then we talk about how as multiple forms of AI emerge all the way from, you know, we're no longer just machine learning, but now generative AI with machine vision, with, um, you know, um, various forms of sensors and uh, new forms of, um, you know, semantic um, interaction. You know, how companies think more holistically about the branding of their intelligence and its role in their brand portfolio. So the tech's going to keep churning, to your point, Dan. It's not going to stop. And what we're trying to do is say, given that it's going to keep churning, how do we create a, a layer of customer interaction on top of that tech churn, churn so that we can build uh, enduring, um, differentiated brands in the midst of all that? That's the kind of issue yeah. we're trying to address through the book. Ted, great to have you with us. Thanks very much for your time. Uh, good luck with the book. Uh, certainly a lot there to dissect. Greatly appreciate you giving us a few minutes today. Thank you for your time. Take care. You got it. Ted Moser, who is a senior partner at consultancy firm Profit, and as we mentioned, co-author of the new book, Winning Through Platforms, How to Succeed When Everyone Has One. To explore more content from the Wharton School, visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu.